if you're like me, you might have heard it before that people are talking about the COVID vaccines as gene therapy. They're really gene editing. And, you know, it's really creating then a different kind of a human being for the purposes of a law. It starts to sound really far-fetched, except that there's the evidence for it. I'm going to bring on today a lawyer, a lawyer who's involved in defending many of, in fact, thousands and thousands of military men and women in the United States who object to taking a vaccine that's abortion-tainted, that's under emergency youth authorization. How can they be forced to? They're being forced to under various penalties and pains, and it's unbelievable, and they've denied every religious exemption ever applied for. So what's going on? Well, this lawyer for this case looked into it, and it's unbelievable. And we're going to show you the actual evidence of all those horrific things we heard about and thought, nah, that can't be true. Unfortunately, it is. This is John Henry Weston's show. Stay tuned. Todd Collender, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Let's begin, as you always do, at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Todd, just um, an absolutely unbelievable thing is, is happening. If you could explain to our viewers what, first of all, tell us about your case. I guess maybe we can frame everything about your case. Tell us about your case and uh, what you're doing in it, and we'll move forward from there. In August of last year, 2021, um, the military mandates came down. The Secretary of Defense issued an order that all military whatsoever, active reserves, National Guard, all had to become vaccinated. Um, I use the term vaccinated only because it's simple and everybody knows what we're talking about. That mandate actually can't exist in the law because the Secretary of Defense is the one who made it. This has all been done before. Uh, in the anthrax scenario, about 20 years prior, where they tried something very similar, uh, my co-counsel in the case actually prevailed. And, and as a result of that came some new law. In particular, um, at issue is the informed consent rights. So here we have a, a phase three clinical trial, to be very clear about this. None of these mRNA adenovirus vaccines, again, um, are FDA approved. They are emergency use authorization, which means that informed consent requirements come into play. In other words, nobody can force you to become a lab rat. So here comes this order from the Secretary of Defense requiring everybody to enjoin into this, um, this experiment, uh, 1.8 million people to be exact. At the same time, a lot of service members were complaining that uh, I've already had the bug. In fact, 200,000 or so military had, had expected to uh, make that defense, which is actually part of uh, military regulations as to why not to get this. So we, we filed suit on a, on a number of grounds, number one of which is that this has already been addressed in 10 U.S.C. 1107 coming out of the, the anthrax case, which says only the president of the United States has the ability to waive service members' rights to informed consent. Not the Secretary of Defense, not anybody else. So the order itself is illegal. On top of that, there are specific exemptions entered into Army regulations, some of which go back to 1908, 
that talk about prior immunity. That one goes back to 1908. Um, disability, religious um, beliefs, and finally administrative. If you're not going to stay in the military, then, then what's the point of doing this? All of those were disregarded, all of them. So then we looked at, you know, how did we get here and, and why are we here? Uh, what is the emergency, first and foremost, because this has got a tremendously high survivability rate, even today. And back then it was 99.98% or something along that line. Um, not even taking into consideration, we're talking about military people who are fit as a function of their job, go through annual physicals, uh, you know, aren't allowed uh, to, to be unhealthy effectively, suffer diseases. So there was really no reason that we could quantify as to why this would take place in the first place. But we filed lawsuit against the Department of Defense, Health and Human Services, and the FDA in, in an attempt to, number one, stop this, uh, getting an injunction or asking for one. And number two, calling into question the, the reasoning behind bringing a mass experiment to the market when there were already efficacious drugs 37 of them we came to find that could treat the, the malady. At this point now, your clientele is huge. You're, you're representing how, how many people in, in, the, in the army and military, in, in the military? So the entirety of the military, it appears it's somewhere around 400,000 people. Our case was uh, dismissed on procedural grounds on the 18th. We're filing a notice of appeal. We haven't had our day in court. And by the way, all we were asking for in this anyway was a declaratory judgment. We wanted the judge to tell the military to follow their own laws, but 400,000 people or so. This is a huge case, but what it led you to find is, I could say, even more stupendous. It's more mind-blowing than just the, they're not following their own rules. They're, the president has to do a waiver. They're just doing it anyway. We've interviewed all sorts of uh, military men and women uh, just had on a Navy commander, Rob Green, who was telling me that, you know, despite his filing for religious exemption, they were denying everything. They're doing a pro forma thing, which is ridiculous. A whistleblower has shown that they're not taking anything seriously. Uh, and these are good, faithful men who are giving for their country, giving offering their lives for their country, and they're forcing them to take this experimental jab, which for many of them is abhorrent because it's abortion tainted. And uh, we've, we've done shows on that as well. But what did it lead you to find that is so hair-raising about uh, gene therapy and what this really is? In all cases, you're always trying to figure out what the defense is going to be. So you can get ahead of it. We did quite a bit of research in so much that we were largely ignored by the DOD uh, for a long time. And so we started looking around. Is there... Is there any other way that they could defend this? Because very clearly they were not getting anybody's consent. They were coercing, threatening, um, taking punitive actions towards the service members, all in violation of the law. The Nuremberg Code was brought into the Uniform Code of Military Justice in 1957. Very clearly the DOD is violating all those rules. So it made us think, what, what possibly could be there? And it turns out that circa 2001, um, the, the DOD, NASA, other agencies started down this road of genetic modification. We also came to find that the informed consent requirements are significantly less. And so that made us think, you know, maybe that's the defense is that, you know, this is experimental. It is gene modification therapy, otherwise known as gene therapy. So maybe we're just off on our legal analysis. And that's what this is really about. And I think that it is. Let's stop there for a second, because I want to right away dispel the you know, the, the charges of falsehood, because there are charges of falsehood. Everybody's saying, oh, they're calling it gene therapy. Give me a break. So let's just go to this clip of the head of Bayer uh, telling 
Bill Gates and all sorts of high profile um, uh, leaders, world leaders, that this indeed is gene therapy and that nobody would have accepted it before COVID, but now they all have. Take a look. The mRNA vaccines uh, are an example for that uh, cell and gene therapy. I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago uh, in the public, would you be willing to take a uh, uh, gene, th gene or cell therapy and inject it into your body, we would have probably had a 95% refusal rate. I think uh, this pandemic has also opened many people's eyes to, to innovation in the way that uh, was maybe not possible before. So Todd, tell us, in addition to this being uh, mentioned on display, you have documents that show that uh, Pfizer or Moderna, they're admitting themselves that this is gene therapy. Is that not correct? Yes, they've never hidden it. From the very beginning, they said that they were going to use lipid nanoparticles to deliver RNA or, or uh, messenger RNA or even synthetic DNA fragments um, to the, the user for the purpose of making that user's body create spike proteins. By, that by itself is, is gene therapy. So now that we've dispelled that this is just, you know, some kind of imaginary thing, let's return to that NASA document. First of all, what, what year is that NASA document from? 2001, Future Strategic Issues, Future Warfare, circa 2025. This is from 2001. So in 2001, they're projecting to 2025, which we're coming up to now, about these kinds of things. Give us, if you will, their sort of, uh, their mindset from uh, 2001 when the U.S. military, uh, Na excuse me, NASA is looking at this. It, and it is. It's a combination of NASA and other agencies, including DARPA and, well, for instance, the NASA Langley Research Center. That's part of the, the CIA. This is a combined effort. There's a few things that, that I take away from reading this, aside from the fact that it goes on for 113 pages. Um, and, and that's just a PowerPoint. It's it's actually actually not, not written text in the traditional sense. It's all about threat assessment. It's all about how, uh, how is somebody else going to kill us and how are we going to kill them? And you take away from this thing, um, there is no survivability. The technology is such that both sides, every, every side, <laughs> is, is going to end up killing everybody. Um, the, the part that disturbs me most about it is that the author uses a whole lot of exclamation marks. So, Yay, we have directed energy weapons, exclamation mark. We have nanotechnology, it's next generation by 2020. You know, nobody will be able to escape it. Um, it talks about all of those things, in, including um, you know, effectively the bionet of things, harnessing people's uh, humanity, harvesting their, their being into uh, beyond what they call, beyond artificial intelligence. I, I think that's where we're going right now. And then they compare the whole thing to our planet being a spaceship. The, the, this is its own microcosm, and, uh, and we're stuck here. And by the way, we'd better do something about the, the population because there's too many of us, not enough resources. All of this is predicated on really one thing, and that to me is um, the absence of spirituality, the absence of God. This is all about man's creations. This is about men killing men, and you walk away from it, um, or at least I did, fairly depressed to think that somebody put this time, energy, and effort into trying to figure out how to kill as many people as they could. It is truly unreal. The analogy to the spaceship, and then they've said how um, they're adding too many people to the spaceship, and we need to do something about that. So population control is built right into the system, and it's really... a 
it really does show the mindset. But where did you go from there, knowing their mindset, knowing that this is a, a sort of um, outlook from the U.S. militarily, but different government organs in the U.S.? Where did you go from there in your research? The predicate to this whole thing is that nowhere in here really does it talk about peace. Instead of threatening each other, the, the presumption is that there's going to be a war, massive casualties in stores. And, and here that talks about, you know, why don't we try something else like, you know, getting along or something along those lines. Um, so we ended up looking at, at a variety of other things, including what is the law around this, being lawyers. Um, and there actually isn't hardly any. Um, along comes a case in 2013, however, that relates to um, intellectual property rights as it relates to synthetic DNA. Um, in particular, it's a, it's a myriad genetics case, and I don't know if you've seen it, um, but I can cite it exactly if you prefer. And it is called the Association for Molecular Pathology versus Myriad Genetics. So and what's it about? So this is about um, the intellectual property rights developed by the use of mRNA in particular, okay. and what happens to the synthetic, synthetic genome as a result of that. This is an argument over intellectual property rights in the new genome that they create from genetic therapy, genetic modification. Right. And presumably they're talking about lab animals that they're going to modify their genes. That's right. In this particular case, mice. Um, it, it, it wanders into a variety of things. And I guess that's the point. It's that uh, They look at this as... Whether it's a human or mice or anything else, it's almost irrelevant. Um, there are humanized mice. Right? They use them in, in labs all the time to test new drugs. So um, we're, chimeras already exist, and they don't differentiate a genome to them as a genome. What did the courts rule? This is a, and this is a U.S. Supreme Court decision already. That's right. This is what we call good law, meaning it's already happened. There is no higher court. This is the decision of the court. The only thing that can happen as a result of this is people follow it as law, or if the legislature doesn't like it, then, then the legislature theoretically has the power to change it, and they do on occasion. So in this particular case, the holding is what really bothers me. It's on page six, about halfway down, the sentence begins with, it is also. So it states, it is also possible to create DNA synthetically through the process similarly well-known in the field of genetics. One such method begins with an mRNA molecule and uses the natural bonding properties of nucleotides to create a new synthetic DNA molecule. And, and that's it. So you can't, in, in the world of intellectual property, you, you cannot um, patent something that already exists in nature. If you change that, however, into something synthetic, that new genome is in fact patentable. You, you are creating chattel property, intellectual property rights in that new genome, and that's what this case holds. Now, this is the same kind of thing we're doing uh, with the vaccines, because they are mRNA vaccines, both the Pfizer and Moderna. And so if you can explain, what is that? And is that actually creating sort of a new genome within us, within people who take the vaccine? So not sort of, it, it does. So the Supreme Court case says it. if you use messenger RNA to create a synthetic genome, that new genome is your intellectual property rights. That's, that's the holding of the case. Right. Um, so the, I've heard people say, well, maybe it's just the synthetic DNA in that new genome that is um, you know, the intellectual property rights. How does one separate that? 
If these shots, which we now know, go throughout your entire body, they're not stuck in your arm, they go everywhere. And if they're genetically modifying billions of your cells, that's the plan. Well, then how does one separate billions of cells from the other billions of cells? The, the simple reality is those that took these shots, the messenger RNA ones, for sure, according to this document, are now the chattel property of the patent holders. This is totally not come up for discussion right now. But actually, in documents you sent me, it has come up for discussion before. That's what I found so fascinating. Uh, a document uh, that you sent over that is from the UK Ministry of Defense, along with the German Ministry of Defense, actually takes this up. I'm going to read a, a rather lengthy quote from it uh, and then get your reaction to it, because I, I found this just incredible that I think it was from 2011. They did envision this very thing and what to do about it. This is, of course, uh, in defense, uh, talking about um, defense and the, therefore soldiers and so on. And that, of course, your case is taking up the soldiers' cases. But here's what they said. Um, so it this the document explains, by the way, this is a document put out by the UK Ministry of Defense in partnership with Germany's Bundeswehr Office for Defense Planning. It actually says, human rights and property law are examples of legal fields which may need to adapt as technologies become integrated with rather than merely used by people. People have legal rights and machines do not, but human augmentation will make it increasingly difficult to adopt this binary approach as machines are integrated with our bodies, potentially at a molecular level, <laughs> which is exactly what we're talking about. As an example, they give is the discussion about possibilities that humans may become cyborgs in the future. The term has many mythical, metaphorical, and technical connotations, but it reflects the idea that humans no longer merely used machines. We increasingly depend on them for our most human-like activities. Then it goes on and says... Ownership of human augmentation technologies and the data they use and collect will need to be carefully considered. If implants become integral parts of our bodies, for example, people who wear pacemakers, uh, often they do not have any rights to access data gathered and transmitted by these devices. Within the European Union, this problem is uh, in part managed by the privacy law, uh, general data protection regulation, GDPR, which regulates access to personal data. It's incredible that they envisioned this back then because they knew that they're going to get into this kind of gene therapy, gene modification, that it's going toward uh, super soldiers or augmenting their military and then finding out what that will mean. And yet here we've done it on a global scale without this discussion really taking place. Yeah, a global scale, still phase three clinical trials. So the entirety of, of the user populations, billions of people are effectively lab rats. Uh, I, I'm unaware of any of them getting proper informed consent per the, per the law. Uh, and, and I don't even know if anybody cares. It's really quite remarkable. In what you referenced, I think it's part three of that particular document, it asks questions about ethics. You know, should we be considering these things? The horse is already out of the barn. It already happened. And so you can tell, going back to the NASA document, the 2001 document, this was a plan, right? This, this didn't just happen. They've been planning it for a long time, and the military seemingly has been doing genetic modification experiments since 2005. 
on their soldiers with very limited informed consent requirements. They're a separate set of informed consent requirements. The only, uh, the only thing that's come out of U.S. law that I think has any bearing whatsoever on this, I think I'll take that back too. Number one is the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act that came out a few years ago. Um, and that's great. You can't discriminate against somebody based on their genetic information. It doesn't talk at all about how about not genetically modifying people or giving them a choice in that. Secondarily, when you look at the law and the totality of it around the planet, it all seems to be based on environmental protection. The, the focus, Australia's is a good example, focuses on if there's an inadvertent spill. And we didn't intend to, to genetically modify you know, some cows over in this field or whatever the case may be. Um, that's their concern. Not, not whether or not somebody has a voice in this or an interest in doing it to themselves. It's a foregone conclusion. And you find that in, in the 2001 document from NASA. All of this is happening irrespective of our desires. Here we have the documents. So how did this figure into your case with them not caring? You, you had mentioned earlier about how, why were they not paying attention, not even concerned about it? How did that figure into your case? It hasn't at all. The response we got out of the Department of Defense, the Department of Justice, who actually defends them, was a straightforward um, denial. Uh, you know, the law actually can't be more clear on this particular subject. And, and they kept kind of referencing things that weren't, weren't even salient. Um, and not, nowhere did they enter in the genetic modification part of this. Um, or it, it really didn't even address informed consent. Even though this is an investigational new drug, investigational new, new device, it really wasn't addressed. They've just ignored it, just like they did <clears throat> their own regulation, AR-4052. It's, it's in their own rules, and they just ignore it. It's absolutely unbelievable. One of the, I guess you could say, things get really strange when we go down this path and people don't know what to believe anymore. And that's why I wanted to bring you on to get the evidence out there so people could say, wait a minute, there's actually something to this because it, it seems so far-fetched. It seems impossible. For one thing, the military has kept a lot of what it's doing behind the scenes anyway. But for another, it just, it sounds so much beyond our, our, realm of possibility. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is the liquid nanoparticles that are uh, used here. The documentation is there uh, for its use. What, what do they do? So the lipid nanoparticles, yes, they're throughout the documentation. They're in all the protocols. They're in all the patents. This is one of six that I see uh, delivery devices. And what they're delivering are payloads. And those payloads are fragments of uh, messenger RNA, RNA, and DNA. Some of them, um, the other shots, will use adenovirus vectors to deliver the very same kinds of payloads. The, the point of those payloads, uh, and, and in my understanding in the Pfizer um, shots, there are eight different types of uh, fragments that they're delivering, eight different types of genetic modification that they're creating, at least, um, is, is they have to slip past your, your body's immune system. Right. So historically, apparently, the nanoparticles, the nanoparticles have been in our food. I think there's 3,300 prod products or so on the market today that have them. But our bodies do a fairly good job of defending against it. So they've actually included other proteins taken from the uh, HIV studies, uh, again, back in the 2020s, to disarm our autoimmune system, to slip the, the nanoparticles, their, their molecular size, frankly, um, into the user's cells. In, in this particular case, it's the cardiovascular cells for the purpose of reprogramming those cells to produce these S proteins, the spike proteins. 
What do you see as the grave danger there with regard to the use of the liquid nanoparticles and the payloads? Because there's no end to it. So it, we did mass spectrometry studies on both the Moderna and the Pfizer shots. And what we found is that the ingredients are effectively the same. A huge amount of polyethylene glycol. Um, they mentioned lipid nanoparticles and adjuvants. The point of it is that nowhere in those documents do they actually talk about what the payload is. What messenger RNA are they delivering? What DNA fragments? So we, we don't know what's in these because it's not disclosed in the filings with the FDA. It's in the patents. You can see that. And if you read through the patents, you look up what all these different things are. One of them will probably turn you into a flying monkey. I, I really don't know. Um, some of them seem to utilize, uh, for instance, E. coli um, chimerically blended, I guess, for lack of a better word, with uh, Marburg. You know, elements of Ebola, all these other pathogens seem to be actually included in these in these payloads. We're really in the midst of quite the experiment, more, more experimental than, than people perhaps even know, because it's not only, yeah, we couldn't have the time to develop this properly, so we developed a, a quick vaccine, sort of, that we think will work, hopefully it will, we'll just go for it anyway. It's much deeper. It's it's much beyond that. It's a totally novel technology that's never been used really on humans before, um, and and given and foisted upon you without uh, without consent of any kind. Um, so, what is your conclusion from this? What's your takeaway? We're going to bring you back on to get more into this, but what's your takeaway right now? And really, what's your takeaway for uh, the people out there? What should they be doing? The takeaway is this, and, and funny enough, I think it was in uh, Jurassic Park where the, you know, the, the scientist, the mathematician says you stood on the shoulders of giants and you never stopped to ask whether or not this should be done, just whether or not it could be done. And that's exactly what's happened. You transfer, transforming the entirety of the world's population, or at least those that took these shots for now, um, into a new species. They're, they're no longer humans for purposes of law, according to the genetics genome, um, sorry, myriad genetics case. So what are they? Um, they're, they're people to you and I, but from perspective of you know, definition in the law, what are they and what rights do they enjoy? And it just strikes me that um, you know, these people could do this. They did do this without ever stopping to ask why. And it strikes me that they view themselves as gods. Right. We are creatures of God. Uh, we're in the image of God. And it seems to me that they decided that wasn't good enough and they should make a whole lot of people the, you know, the creatures of their own imaginations. It's, it's, it's blinding to me how arrogant this is. Unbelievable stuff. Todd Collender, thank you so much for being with us. Um, tell us, how can people um, find out what you're up to? Uh, where, where, can they, uh, where can they get in touch? Uh, the name of our law firm is Disabled Rights Advocates. Uh, it's it's on the web. It's easy to find. We have a good and close association with a website called VaxChoice, V-A-X-Choice.com, where there's constant updates and information for people to be aware of. Um, some blogs have been created as a result of it. It's really a large community of people around the planet that are looking for legal self-help that we provide there. Um, and, and of course, we have lots of people uh, coming to our firm and we try our, our very best to work with them and Truth for Health Foundation in particular, to, to help people as best as we can. Thank you so much for what you're doing for, for life, for faith, for family, and for freedom. May God bless you. Thank you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time.
We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.